Today, we have Jim Johnson coming. About a month ago, we had Jeff Johnson's brother. And he, he blessed our hearts. And uh, church supports the missionary efforts of Jeff and his family. And we're, we're so grateful to have him come. Jim is a, very familiar with most of them, especially men in motion. He's been speaking for 16 years or so, very regularly. 18, maybe. Could be close to 20. Who knows? And you came a couple years before. And uh, so, yeah, and so Jim is dear to our hearts. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6 today as our launch for where God wants us to go. I'm just going to tell you straight up, I've been looking forward to preaching this message and not looking forward to it. I'm excited about any opportunity I get to teach the Word of God, but at the same time I'm human. And I also know that sometimes God has me say things that go against how we look at life. My prayer is that all of us, myself included, would be surrendered today to what God has to say. And that we would honestly allow the Spirit of God to show whether or not whether or not you're hearing from me is truth. And if it lines up with his word, and if it does, I pray that we would line ourselves up with it. Folks, I'm just going to tell you straight up, my prayer has been over and over this week that you would hear my heart as I share with you this morning, and that you would hear the heart of God. As you all know, you as a church are in a very crucial time right now. You're in the process of transition. You're looking for a new pastor. You've had people leave. You're praying for the church to become what God wants it to be. And God has given me a message for this morning very clearly, and I pray that you would hear it. So let's pray together. Father, as we open your word today, knowing full well that you have a plan and a purpose. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that I don't know your plan. I don't know your, uh, your purposes and what you're actually, how you're going to orchestrate what you have in mind for Central Baptist. Lord, I thank you for the fact that I can preach this message today with no agenda because I don't know what you want to do. But Lord, you do. And you want to get our hearts today lined up with whatever you have in mind. Oh, Father, we, we're good at saying, Lord, whatever you have in mind, but we've already made up our minds. My prayer today, Father, is that the truth of your word would allow us to hear you so clearly that all of us would line up with what you have in mind for Central Baptist and for each of us individually. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verses 5 and 6. Now, I'm sure most of us could just quote it. We're probably going to in just a second, but look at verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, put a bookmark there. I want you to quote it with me. Because that's one thing I found as I travel around the country and speak to churches all over the country each week. Next Sunday, I'm going to be in Virginia. Sunday after that, I'm going to be in New Hampshire. Sunday after that, I'm going to be in New Hampshire. Sunday after that, I'm going to be over in Satellite Beach. Then Sunday after that, I'm going to be in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and I could go on and on. God has me all over the country getting the church woke back up as to what it means to walk with him. And as I'm here today, I can tell you as I travel around the country, most churches can quote this passage. Go ahead. Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths or direct your paths correct I'm gonna paraphrase it tell me if I'm saying it wrong did we just not quote 
that we're to trust in the Lord with our whole heart. And that we're to never, ever, ever, ever lean on our own wisdom and our own understanding. And in all of our ways, acknowledge him, check with him, and he'll show us what to do. Is that not what we just quoted? I'm going to ask you an honest question, and I'm not going to ask you to answer it out loud. You don't have to, but I'm going to ask you an honest question. How many churches do you know today that are actually living that way? How many churches actually continually say, what does God want to do now? What does God have in mind now? As I was a pastor for many years, and God began to teach me the principles of a God-centered church that I've turned into a book, one of the big wake-up calls for me was the fact that as I was pastoring these churches, I started to realize that our practice didn't match up with the Word of God. I started to realize that our churches were governed more by the calendar and the church council and the constitution and the bylaws and the church manual than it was actually seeking God and seeing what he had in mind. And God began to open my eyes to the fact that actually all through scripture he's been saying, I want you to check with me on everything. Don't rely on how you've always done it. Keep checking with me. Let me show you what I mean. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. We'll start in verse 17. David had already been anointed king of Israel. But now Saul is done and dead and David becomes king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, look at verse 17. Look closely. It says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, but David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Look what David does. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? Now stop for a second. Most of us today would have said, David, why are you wasting your time praying? You're a warrior. God's made you a warrior. You're gifted in fighting. That's what you do. Why do you need to check with God? You're good at fighting. You're never going to lose a battle in your life. David, just go fight. But David was wise enough to know that even though God had gifted him to fight, that didn't mean he was supposed to fight every fight. And he checked with God. He says, do you, wanna, do you want me to go straight in? Do you want me to give me, you want to give me the victory? Look at what happens. God says, and the Lord said to David, go up for I'll certainly give the Philistines into your hand. Verse 20, and David came to Baal-perazim and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim and the Philistines left their idols there and David and his men carried them away. Look at the very next verse. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Same people, exact same valley, exact same situation. And David does a non-Baptist thing. Now don't get mad at me, I'm a Baptist too. But he doesn't assume that how God did it last time is how God is going to do it this time. Folks, I've pastored Baptist churches all around the country in New Orleans, Chicago, Florida. And our churches are full of classrooms that have storage of all the stuff that we just pull out every year. VBS, pull this stuff out. Christmas, pull this stuff out. And we have a tendency, if it worked, keep doing it. And they had just had a tremendous victory. God said, go straight in, I'll give you the victory. They defeated the Philistines in the valley of Rephaim. And the Philistines come and gather again in the valley. And David doesn't assume that how God did it last time how God's going to do it this time. You know the story. If you know your Bibles, this time God says, don't go straight in. 
This time I want you to go around behind them. And when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the trees, that means I've gone ahead of you to give the victory. Exact same people, exact same valley, exact same situation. And how God did it was different. And all of a sudden I started to realize all through the scriptures that God never duplicated a method. He never ever did things the same way twice. Oh, God never changes. His word never changes. His truth never changes. His principles never change. But I started to realize that I couldn't find anywhere where God ever did the exact same thing the exact same way two times. The closest you're ever going to find is in Matthew chapter 14 in the feeding of the 5,000, in the Matthew 15 in the feeding of the 4,000. But in both of those situations, there's still some slight differences. One, Jesus initiates it. Another time, the disciples initiate it. Sometimes there's more food and less left over. Sometimes less food and more left over. They're not exactly the same. And all through the scriptures, let's just kind of go through this with our minds. I know I'm talking to a group of people that know the Bible and you've studied it and you're faithful to read it. Let's just kind of go back in our minds to our Sunday school lessons and our childhood. When the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, what was the first body of water they came to as they were heading to the promised land? The Red Sea. By the way, the instructions for Moses were him to hold his rod over the water and it parted like this, right? What was the next body of water they came to? Jordan. What were the instructions this time? Joshua's in charge now. Is Joshua to hold Moses' rod over the water? No, the priests were to carry the ark and step into the river, and it stopped flowing at a town called Adam, and the rest of it went on, and they crossed over on dry ground. Different instructions. Oh, by the way, first city they come to is Jericho. Remember the instructions? They're to walk around the city six times, seventh day, seven times. By the way, help me out with this. Was that a successful military campaign? Name another city they ever walked around. Never did it again. In the wilderness, in the wilderness, they're thirsty, and they cry out to God, and God tells Moses, I want you to strike the rock, and water flowed. Later on, they come to a similar situation. They're thirsty again in the wilderness, and this time, God tells Moses to do what? Strike the rock? No, speak to the rock. But Moses duplicates the previous method, and he tries to steal some of God's glory by doing it how he did it last time. And if you remember, Moses said, are we going to have to provide the water for you again? And he struck the rock and no water flowed. He struck it a second time and in God and his mercy provided water. But what did he tell Moses? You blew it. Because of this, you're not going to get to see the promised land. Folks, let me just say something to you. The Spirit of God hadn't left Central Baptist Church. I've heard too many people say about certain churches here and there around the country, oh, the Spirit of God has left that church. That's not true. If there's one believer here, the Spirit of God's here. Because he's come to indwell us, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And I know a lot of your faces. I know there are a lot of you that know the Lord and you love him. The Spirit of God hasn't left central. But I can tell you this right now. You're probably suffering a lot of, well, let's just, let's just put it this way. Go to Isaiah 50. Go to Isaiah 50. Look at verses 10 and 11. I don't want you to hear it from me. I want you to hear it from God. Go to Isaiah 50. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Now behold, all of you who kindle your own fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, go ahead. Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you've kindled. This you'll have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. You in the dark? 
You don't know what to do? Check with God. Oh, you want to come up with your own flashlight when you're in the dark? You want to come up with your own torch? God says, go right ahead. Knock yourself out. But here's what you're going to get from me. You're going to miss. You're going to miss out. Go to Jeremiah chapter 10. Look at verse 21. I don't think it can be any more clear than Jeremiah 10, 21. It says, for the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. By the way, some of your translations don't say stupid. They say senseless or brutish. I like stupid. What are the pastors, the leadership in the church stupid about? They don't inquire the Lord. And when churches go on cruise control and churches are run more by their constitution and their bylaws and their manual than they are continually saying, Lord, what would you have us do in this situation? What happens is churches start to struggle. They start to suffer. God doesn't leave. He just says, go ahead. You've got your own torch. You've got your own light. Walk in it. Years ago, I was teaching this principle at a church up in Milton, Florida. And I was preaching for a week. And during my preaching of the week, there was a man in the church who carried the church manual with him everywhere. And whenever he came to the meeting, he had his Bible in one hand, the church manual in the other. Finally, because he kept mentioning the church manual as we would discuss things, I finally had to stop and say to this man, you don't know what kind of an amazing document you have. He goes, what do you mean? I go, you've got an amazing document right there in your church manual. He said, I know. I said, no, you don't understand. Um, what you have there is phenomenal. He said, that's what I keep telling everybody. I said, no, you still don't get it. What you have there in your church manual has removed the need of prayer. You guys don't need to seek God anymore. You've got your church manual. You need a new pastor? Page 7 tells us what we're to do. We've got all the policies in place and how we're going to do it. We need to ordain deacons, even though the Bible doesn't say specifically how to do it. Page 8 will tell us exactly how we're to ordain deacons every single time. You guys don't even need to pray anymore because you've got your flashlight. You've got your own torches. You've got your constitution and your bylaws and your manual and you're living by it. And God says, I still love you, but you're missing out. Let me just go down a road real quick. You guys are in a pastor search. I don't know this for a fact, but i probably right. You probably took a survey of the congregation. What would you like the next pastor to be? And everybody has their opinion on what they think the next pastor should be and his gifts and his abilities. And you put together a pastor profile from everybody's opinions and everybody's input on the pastor search process. And some people say, well, I think he needs to be a powerful preacher. We put that down. Well, he needs to also be an evangelist and share, share Jesus and tell, teach other people how to share Jesus. And okay, we were looking for a man of God who preaches the word with power and he's got an evangelistic heart. Well, he's got to have a shepherd's heart too. We want him to be a shepherd and care for people and visit people in the hospitals. Okay, looking for a preacher who's an evangelist who's also a shepherd. Well, he's got to have administrative abilities. I mean, he's going to be supervising the staff and overseeing the office and stuff. So he's got to have administrative abilities as well. And we put together a pastor profile of Superman. Now, it's our fault, too, by the way. Those of us who show up for these interviews, we look at this pastor profile of Superman, 
Oh, and by the way, when we put together a pastor profile of Superman, you know what we're really saying to God? God, show us the man you've chosen to be the next pastor of Central Baptist. He looks like this. We've already determined how many years experience we think he's supposed to have, how much seminary degree he's supposed to have, all of his qualifications and abilities. Lord, show us whom you've chosen. We want your man, God. He looks like this. Are you really ready to go where God wants to go? Or do you want to light your own torch? Think you're walking with God. Like I said, it's our fault too. We show up at the pastor interview. We look at that pastor profile and we say, I'm your guy. And they'll say, good, because the last bum sure wasn't. He was lacking in this area and lacking in that area. And by the way, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teaching, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. There's actually four different types of men that God uses to equip the church, and not one guy is ever all of it. Oh, we'll come in and we'll look real good for a while because we're trying our hardest to make everybody happy. And if you've got a prophet, one is a preacher of the word of God, you're going to hear people say this. Man, I love brother so-and-so. I've never heard any more better preaching than I have from him. I've never learned more than I have than under his preaching. But he just doesn't visit enough. He's not approachable. And if you've ever been through any kind of life and history of a church, you'll know that churches go through this cycle of bringing in the next guy that's got the gifts the previous guy didn't have. We need more of a shepherd next time. And you'll get a shepherd. And he'll be a pastor teacher and he'll, he'll be a wonderful man. And after a couple of years, you'll hear this. I love brother so-and-so. He was there and mama died. And, you know, he's just a wonderful man. I'm just not getting fed. Let me ask you a question. Who was the pastor of the church in Philippi? You guys know your Bibles. Who was the pastor of the church in Philippi? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll give you, an, I gave you a too hard of a one. Let me give you an easier one. Who was the pastor of the church in Corinth? You guys do know your Bibles, right? Who was the pastor of the church in Colossae? By the way, you're right. You've gotten all these questions right. There was no pastor of the church in Colossae. There was no pastor of the church in Philippi. There was no pastor of the church in Corinth. The Bible actually tells us in Acts chapter 13 in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and it lists five guys who were leaders in the church, who were elders and also spiritual leaders. Some were gifted prophets, some were as teachers. God never designed one person to be the pastor and the church be built around one individual. God designed the church to have leaders that spiritually guide the church, listen closely, to inquire of the Lord. Otherwise, if they don't inquire the Lord, this will let me know whether or not you're tracking with me here. If they don't inquire the Lord, they're what? You're afraid to say it, aren't you? You can say stupid in church. The Bible said it. They're stupid. By the way, this principle of God not duplicating a method and always changing how he does things so that we'll keep checking with him is in the New Testament as well. Now, I just gave you Old Testament illustrations. In the New Testament, we see Jesus heal people of blindness. By the way, you do know he's God, and he could just say the word and they'd be healed. But in each instance, we see at least three different people in the New Testament healed of blindness. The Bible says one person he touches once, another person he touches twice. In that instance, the Bible says he spits on the man, and the guy says, I see people like trees walking around. The Bible says he touched him a second time, and then he could see. 
We also see a third instance in John chapter 9 where Jesus spits in the ground and he makes mud and he puts the mud on the man's eyes and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. By the way, Vance Habner, a wonderful, wonderful old man who I can't wait to meet when I get to heaven. Wonderful preacher. He said this years ago. He said, if those three guys that were healed of blindness today, sorry, healed of blindness in Jesus' day were alive today, this is what their conversation would sound like. The first one would walk up and say, I've been healed by the Lord. Second one would touch him on the shoulder and say, hang on for a second. Uh, he only touched you once. He touched me twice. If you weren't touched twice, you didn't get the full healing. And the third guy says, whoa, 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 hang on. Did he make mud? Because if he didn't get mud, you didn't get the, the full healing. He said, if those three guys were alive today, they would have started three different churches. Church of the one touch, church of the two touch, and the Muddites. Because how God does it for me is how he's supposed to do it for you. Folks, we all have a tendency to want God to do it the way he, for everybody else, the way he did it for me. We fight over methods, don't we? Don't we fight over music methods? We fight over music methods, worship methods, evangelism methods, and if you're tracking with me and what you think I'm saying is true, the Bible says that God doesn't duplicate his methods, and here we are as the church today fighting over methods. Well, this is who we are at Central Baptist. God says, go ahead, have fun with that. Knock yourself out. Here's what you'll receive from my hand. You'll lie down in torment, and your flock will be scattered. But are we willing to honestly say, Lord, what do you have in mind? By the way, God changes his methods for lots of reasons. One I'm going to get to at the end of the message. But one of the reasons why that God changes his methods is this. If Jesus healed people of blindness only by spitting in the ground and making mud, if he did that every single time, what would we be doing today if someone was blind? We'd be spitting in the ground and making mud, wouldn't we? Because we think the power is in the method and not in the one who determines the method. That's why God keeps changing things. Yet we as a church today, we run to the latest conference to find out how that big church in California or Chicago or wherever it is, what are they doing to grow? We want to find out what they're doing and bring it here. You still don't get it. That's what God did there at that time. And that church is going to find out in time. He wants to keep changing things too so that we'll keep checking with him. Now there's another reason. I'm going to get to that at the close as to why God duplicates, doesn't duplicate his methods but I want to give you guys a quiz. Now, this is a tough quiz, and it's going to require you to fight your flesh. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 22. And I want you to start at verse 7, and I want you to read with me verses 7 and 8, but do not read verse 9. I know everything in you now wants to run straight to verse 9. Don't do it. If you have one of your Bibles on, on an iPad or on your phone, scroll it so that you can't see verse 9. Are you behaving? Luke 22, verses 7 and 8. Do not look at verse 9. Listen to Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Stop. Don't read verse 9. Don't read verse 9. Don't read verse 9. Came the day for the Passover lamb to be sacrificed. Jesus, the Bible says, turns to Peter and John and says, go make preparations for us to eat 
the Passover. Put yourself in their shoes. Jesus has just turned to you specifically and said, go make preparations for us to eat the Passover. What would you do? You'd go and make preparations, wouldn't you? I mean, good grief. Jesus just looked at you and said, go make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Yes, sir. You would start to go and you'd think, man, we need a room. We're going to, how many people are going to be? We're going to need a caterer. We're gonna, and your brain would go into all the things that you'd have to do. Go look at verse 9 now. Peter and John have been with Jesus now for three years and they know that that was a test. And they don't move. Look at verse 9. Look what they said. Where would you have us prepare it? I can almost picture Jesus winking at them and saying, good for you. You didn't move. And if you know the rest of the story, if you keep reading, you can double check me. Jesus says, you did good, guys. Here's what I want you to do. Go into the city. You're going to find a man carrying a jar of water. Follow that guy. Whatever house he goes into, here's specifically what I want you to say to the master of the house. He'll lead you to an upper room and you'll find it all furnished. Prepare it there. Did you see what happened? Jesus says, go make preparations. He tells us to go into all the world and make disciples. But I don't know if you know this, but in the Greek, the rest of the verbs after go are all in the passive tense. In other words, as you go, listen to me as you're teaching and baptizing and making disciples. I want you to go, but don't run off. I am more interested in me and you walking together on this journey. And I'm going to use these instances to teach you things than I am you going off and working for me. Too many of us have been taught to go work for Jesus, to go live for Jesus, doing our best for Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't need you. Acts 17, 25 says he's not served by human hands if he needed anything. Does God need you to get something done? No, he doesn't. Then why does he say go? Because the go is the opportunity for us to say, okay, I hear you. Where would you have me go? How would you have me go? You ever notice that Paul tried to go into Asia? I mean, Jesus said go, but he was sensitive enough to the Spirit. The Spirit said no. Not yet, anyway. Not at this time. He tried to go into Mysia, but the Spirit said not there. And then the Spirit came and gave him a vision of a man of Macedonia. And he knew that God was wanting him to go. But as they went to Macedonia, they still are looking for where God's at work. And they find these women by the river, and the gospel starts in Macedonia. And the first convert in, in Europe was not even a man. It was a woman. Oh, by the way, does anybody know where the Bible said Lydia was from? The Bible said she was a seller of purple, which meant she had money and influence. And she was from Thyatira. Anybody else want to take a wild guess where Thyatira is? It's in Asia. Paul says, I want to go into Asia. God says, I'll get you into Asia, but I got my own plan. I got my own way. 
And I'm more interested in you walking with me than you going and doing things for me, Paul. By the way, have you ever noticed all through the scripture, you can't say, this is how I do it. Some of you even say, I have a policy. I never give cash to homeless people on the side of the road. Well, good for you. You're living by your own flashlight. There's going to be times that the Spirit of God's going to tell you, in this instance, I want you to do something. There's going to be a time the Spirit's going to say, I want you to take them and go buy them some food. There's going to be times the Spirit of God's saying, no, that person's a scammer. You've got to learn how to walk with the Lord and listen. But too many of us have become proud of the fact of, we have our policies. Well, the Bible blows policies out the water. In one instance, Paul's dragged outside the city, stoned, left for dead, and the Bible says he gets back up, walks back in the city. But this is the same guy that earlier, when he found out people were going to kill him, got in a basket and was snuck out a window and out the wall. So which is it? Oh, it's the same guy in Acts 16 that he's in a Roman colony of Philippi and he's taken, beaten, without a trial, thrown in the inner cell. Yet in chapter 22, he's about to be beaten again by Roman citizens and he pulls his Roman citizen card out and he says, are you guys allowed to beat Roman citizens without a trial? When they found out that he was a Roman citizen, they quickly let him go. Why did he pull out his Roman citizen card in Acts 16? There's only one answer. The Spirit of God must have told him to keep it in his pocket and take the beating. We know now that the jailer and his family got saved because of it. Some people have said, no, 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 Jim. Probably Paul didn't know about the rule in Acts 16. And by Acts 22, someone had told him, no, read your Bibles. When they're sitting in the jail and it all falls apart and the jailer and his family get saved, the magistrates come and they say, we want to let you guys go. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. You beat us two Roman citizens publicly without a trial. You tell them to publicly let us out. Did Paul know about the law? Yes, he did. Well, maybe Paul was a Roman citizen and Silas wasn't. And so to keep Silas from getting beaten and not Paul. No, no, no. You beat us two Roman citizens publicly without a trial. Paul knew. But he had learned to walk in the spirit in that instance, the Spirit said, take the beating. And praise God, the jailer and his family got saved and many others because he didn't live by a policy. I told you earlier that there's more than one reason why God doesn't duplicate a method. One is, if he used the same method, we'd put our faith in the method. And there's another reason. Let's go back in our minds to the strike the rock and speak to the rock. The Bible very clearly has symbolism. But whenever the Bible uses symbolism, it always tells you what it symbolizes. The rock is who? According to the scriptures. It's Jesus. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10. They all drank from the same rock, spiritual rock, in the wilderness, which is Christ. The water represents what? That flows from the rock. What does it represent? The Holy Spirit. That's what it says in John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of him will flow rivers of living water. Listen, by this he meant the Holy Spirit, which those who believed in him were later to receive. So the rock represents Jesus, and the water represents the Holy Spirit or salvation. Listen closely. In order for salvation to be given, in order for people to be saved, the rock had to be struck. But once the rock was struck once, does he ever have to be struck again? 
No, the Bible says that Jesus died once for all, never to be beaten and struck ever again. And so now, how do we get salvation? Do we have to go beat Jesus or crucify him again? How do we get salvation now? Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who, what's that word? Ask him. You know what God was doing when he told Moses, don't use the same method? I'm teaching. The rock had to be struck and the water flowed. Now all you have to do in order for the water to flow is speak to the rock. Folks, isn't that awesome? You don't got to do anything to get Jesus to save you except ask him. He's already been struck. But you know what happened? Moses messed the picture up a little bit by trying to do it the way he's always done it. We're going to close this morning with a warning. My prayer is that you heard today what God brought me here to say. And thank God, I don't know what God has in mind for Central Baptist. I don't know who he has in mind to be the next pastor. I don't have an agenda except to say, please check with God or you will miss out. And stop living by how you've always done it. But we have a problem. We, are, we have gotten, especially in America, really, really good at knowing how to say the right thing, yet still manipulate things the way we want them to be. There was a man who started to get convicted that maybe he wasn't supposed to have a donut every day on the way to work. He had been doing that for eight years. And so he... Uh, he decided this morning he was going to pray and seek the Lord. Every day, Lord, as I drive to work, I always stop at this one donut shop and I get a donut. Lord, I want to start seeking you in all that I do. I'm to seek you with my whole heart and everything and you'll direct my path. So, Lord, here's my prayer this morning. If I'm not supposed to have a donut on the way to work, may there be no parking space open in front of the donut store. But, Lord, if it is your divine sovereign will that I have a donut today, may there be a parking space open right in front of the store. And sure enough, eighth time around the block, there was a spot open right in front of the store. He knew how to word things, but he also knew how to manipulate them to be what he wanted. Folks, I got that problem. You got that problem. The question today is, is what you've just heard truth? And if so, are you willing to go there? Years ago, when I started traveling and teaching the principles of a God-centered church, I had a pastor call me one time and he'd say, give me a name of a couple of churches that have tried your program and it's worked. I said, sir, I'm going to say this to you as nicely as I can, but you just asked me a stupid question. You just asked me, do biblical principles work? I said, whether a church applies what I say or not has no, it doesn't affect whether or not what I'm saying is true. You have to decide, sir, whether or not what you think I'm teaching is biblical. And if it is, you then have to decide whether or not you want to go there. But stop looking for whether or not it worked. What did God say? Would you stand this morning? Father, I thank you for the freedom I believe that you've given me this morning to share this message with folks that I love. And Lord, you know I want to see you do something for your glory here at Central Baptist. 
And Lord, I know they've been through a time of struggle for many years in different ways and shapes and fashions and, and forms. And Lord, we keep thinking, well, it was this pastor's fault or that pastor's fault. Or Lord, <laughs> you've been trying to teach us for years that you're the one that wants to lead us and guide us. You want us to follow you. And, 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 and we know how to say the right things, but we know how to also make things come out the way we want them. And Lord, I know as we're in this process of looking for a new pastor here at Central, there's so many different opinions on what they would like him to be and do, gifting, how this church will look. Are we really willing today, Lord, to surrender and say, what do you have in mind? Lord, may we first and foremost believe that everything you have for us is good. Even though it's painful at times, your discipline is because you love us. And so, Father, my prayer today is that as a church, what you desired to accomplish by this message today would take root and begin to move. And Father, I also pray that if there'd be an individual or two, or maybe more, even those listening online, that today have finally, by your spirit opening their eyes, come to understand that the only way they can be saved is to just speak to the rock. They don't have to do anything to impress the rock. They don't have to try to get cleaned up for the rock. They just need to ask the rock for salvation, and you'll give the Holy Spirit, which you promised to those who believe. And so, Father, thank you for the fact that we've had the privilege today of focusing on the cross and what you've done. And if we're all honest, as amazing as your plan is of the cross, it's not even close to how we would have ever done it. But it's best. And so, Father, may we surrender to that truth today in what you're telling us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.